You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. Hey, if you are already part of a circle and they've given you the circle book, you can take that out. Otherwise, take the sermon outline from your program and uh, go ahead and take that out and you'll have some fill in the blanks there as we talk today about this new series called Circles. And this is a foundational series for us. We're going to deal with issues of identity and formation and community and mission and how does spiritual growth actually happens. If we think about it, life is short. And many of you around the room will know that even if you think about the last year, there's probably some people that you knew or know who have gone home to be with Jesus, or they've passed away, or that their life unexpectedly stopped short, and you look at it, and you just go, life is. It's a vapor. It's short. It's shorter than we thought it would be. It's change happens all the time. By the way, how many of you in this room, you love change? You thrive on it. How many of you kind of dig your heels in when you hear the word change? A little bit, right? Yeah, because we like what's familiar, right? We, we, like, we like things that are just normal. We want things to be somehow routine, and yet we know that if we're only in routine, we kind of die a little bit on the inside, that we get stir-crazy, that we get bored, and that we find ways to get ourselves in trouble. And, and the reality is we want to grow spiritually. If, if you in this room, I want you to think about your own life for a moment. Deep down in your heart, do you want to grow spiritually? Just think deep down in your heart. Do you want to actually grow spiritually? Some of you feel like, well, I, I kind of, I'm settled. I kind of am good where, where I'm at. And others of us are, are like, hey, I would really, really love to grow spiritually. I just don't know how spiritual growth actually works. Is it just gaining more knowledge? Is that how you grow spiritually? Is it attending church more regularly? Is that how you grow spiritually? What is the world? What is the deal? How do you actually grow spiritually? We want to grow spiritually, but we're aware that stagnant, is easy. We're aware that pursuing stuff is easy. We're aware that entertaining ourselves is easy. But growing requires change. Growing requires stretching. Growing requires the ability to lock in and to pursue the growth that we actually want to experience. God wants you to grow into a life worth living for. He wants you to begin to live a better story than you're currently living right now. And you say, my story's pretty good. No, God wants you to live a better story than you're currently living right now. It's probably one of the areas where your heart actually hungers. It actually hungers to grow in a deeper way. And God loves you too much to leave you where you currently are. Even if you think you're good enough. He loves you too much to leave you where you currently are. Now, how many of us uh, around the room, at some point in your life, you've gotten stuck in a hairstyle for a little too long? Come on, raise your hands, be honest, right? (laughs) Yeah, my friend over here, Tim, who's totally bald, he's like, yep, that's me, right? We get, we get stuck in our hairstyles for a little bit too long, and, and, and sometimes we need to change things up, and it's risky to change things up, and you go like, how is that going to work, right? Uh, I want to remind my bald friends in the room that as my dad, who was bald, said, God created a few perfect heads, and the rest he covered with hair. <laughs> Amen? We need a little bit of change sometimes in our lives. Many of us spend a lot of time on our appearance. Ladies in the room, just to get ready in the morning, you use an entire arsenal of equipment like dryers and irons and lotions and sprays and body scrubs and makeup. Now men, don't you front because you've got razors and aftershave and stuff for your hair and you wear deodorant, I hope. (laughs) 
right? We have to do things that change our appearance, even from how we wake up in the morning. And transformation and healing on the inside is not so easy as grabbing products and just applying them to your heart. That transformation and healing and growth on the inside requires a whole different line of work. The beginning point of transformation and growth in your life and in mine is a makeover of the mind. We so often worry about our feelings. We so often worry about our routines. We so often worry about our hurts, our habits, and hangups. But anybody who's ever worked through hurts and habits and hangups realizes that the beginning place is a battle for your mind. The beginning place is a change of mind will bring about a change of belief, which will bring about a change of behavior. Because what our mind thinks, our heart believes. And what our heart believes becomes how we act. You know how you act out what you're already believing about yourself or what other people have said about you in your heart? You begin to act out what you believe you've been told. And so the battle starts in the mind. What we believe in our heads or what we think in our heads, we believe in our hearts and then we act out what we believe in our hearts. So often you and I become stuck or we stay stagnant. Because you believe in identity, which is not the identity that God has spoken over you. And so for change to happen, we actually have to change our minds. And my hope today, and the reason you need this sermon, is I believe that in this room right now, there are many of us who have believed a lie about ourselves. We begin to believe statements or ideas that just condemn who we are. They condemn our worth. And we downgrade to a sub-identity and live out something that is different than who God says we are. And we need to come back to a realization of just saying, I've got to cling. Even if I don't feel it, I've got to cling to who God says I am. I need to begin to change my mind and have my mind reflect who God says I am. And if I do that, I will change what I believe. And if I change what I believe, then I will actually change how I act. So for change to happen, we've actually got to have a change of minds. Paul said this in the Bible. He urges us in Romans 12, 2 to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Isn't it interesting? You didn't say, hey, be transformed by just being a better person. Be transformed by being the person you want to be. Be transformed by behaving nice. Be transformed by being nicer to people around you. No, he said, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And later he appeals to us. He urges us by saying, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. He's writing to the church in Corinth and he's saying, listen, you've got to take captive your thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. How do you make them obedient to Christ? It's not just a matter of simply trying to take bad thoughts and don't think bad thoughts, don't think bad thoughts. That's not what it is. He's saying, take that thought captive and make your, your lower thoughts obedient to who Christ says you are and who Christ says how you and I ought to live. We take our thoughts captive and we make them obedient to Christ. Otherwise, our thoughts eventually capture us and capture our hearts and capture our actions. So often you and I begin to believe we are what we think and God says that is not who I have called you to be. There's a woman named Harmony Dust, and Harmony, you say this very weird name, but Harmony, for a lot of years, got caught up in the, in the adult entertainment uh, 
strip club industry, and she just had a very low self-esteem. And after she was saved from that in a pretty radical way, she began to gather other ladies who had come to Christ, and they, as these ladies, reach out to ladies who are in the adult entertainment industry, and they go to these adult clubs, they get permission ahead of time, they come in, and they give gifts to these women, and they tell these women that they are treasures, and they've started a ministry that started in Los Angeles and begun to branch outward called Treasures, and she's been the director of that for years now, and it's just amazing to see God reaching to the people who are on the furthest outmost parts of life and he's reaching to them with a new identity and if they change their identity, if they change how they think about themselves, they're open to the change and the good news of Jesus Christ. She writes this in her book. She said, 14 years ago, I believed a lot of lies. They were so woven into the fabric of my being that they became my personal truth. I believed I was worthless, stupid, and unlovable. I believed that I was destined to be abandoned by any male I ever cared for. And my life reflected what I thought to be true because I made choices based on those deep and hidden beliefs. In essence, my thoughts shaped beliefs that dictated my actions and led me to habitually poor choices. Looking back sometimes, it's hard to believe that I would stay in a relationship with a man who abused me the way my ex-boyfriend did. But the truth is, and listen to this, I believed I was the kind of girl who deserved to be abused long before I became the kind of girl that would let myself be abused. Did you see what she said there? I believed, therefore I became. But it started with her thoughts. I thought I was destined to be abused. I thought I deserved it. And then I believed I deserved it. So then eventually I acted out. I allowed myself to be abused in these ways. Isn't it interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus regularly asked his disciples, do you still not believe? He's basically saying, don't you yet believe? Is it still taking you so long to believe in who I am? That's what Jesus is asking his disciples because time and again, they would balance like this. They teeter-tot in their faith. And he's asking them, do you not yet believe? God asks you and me, I think if he were to stand up in, on this stage today, he would look out and say, what about you? Do you still not yet believe that you are who I say you are? Why are you teeter-tottering? Is it still taking so long? Do you believe that you are who I say that you are? And yet we... we you know, basically default to a sub-identity, to be the kind of person who puts up with the actions and the hurts and habitually poor choices because we have believed a lie about ourselves. And so you and I walk in hurts or habits or hang-ups in a habitual way because we continue to believe a lie about who we are compared to who God says that we are. Harmony Dust writes this in her book. She said this, there's a process of transformation that requires action on our part. It's up to us to actively replace the lies we believe with the truth. I don't know about you, but I want to be as diligent about caring for my inner self as I am with my outer self. At the end of the day, that's what truly matters. People aren't impacted by how straight I get my hair with the hottest flat iron on the market, but they will be impacted by how I live my life, the choices I make, and the way I love people around me. Ultimately, she says this, the way I live my life is a reflection of the things I think. 
What thoughts are shaping who you allow yourself to be? How does your outer life reflect what you actually believe about yourself on the inside? What truths are in scripture that you can actually use to combat the lies that are being thrust upon you in your mind? And when you believe you are what you've done, your spiritual growth slides to a halt. Right? So often we're looking at Jesus, we're remembering, God, this is who you say I am. That's a good news. I, I want to be that person. And then you kind of look backwards and you, you begin to look and see what you've done. And if you begin to believe you are what you've done, you've taken your eyes off Jesus and you stagnate. Your spiritual growth stops in that moment. And what I want you to realize is that identity kickstarts spiritual growth. Everything hinges on identity. I want you to catch that, that this is the first and greatest thing that, that Jesus is going to talk about identity. And what you need to realize is everything hinges on your identity. We live in a world that's trying to boost people up and inflate people and people are deflated all over the place because they believe their identity is what they've done. And Jesus comes along and says, I want to stabilize you in a rock-solid way so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are who I say that you are. Identity will kickstart your spiritual growth. So let's ask the question, how does spiritual growth happen? What progression is needed to develop leadership and in service to the king? How does a believer move, right, from being a baby Christian to being someone who's becoming more and more steadfast in their life? Is it just simply an increase of knowledge about the Bible? Is it just simply that, or is there more to it than that? And we're going to talk about how spiritual growth happens. We need to look at the progression of Jesus as he moved from an apprentice carpenter to the fulfillment of his mission as Messiah. And what I need you to realize is this, that I believe in Mark chapter 1, God has given us through Jesus the pattern by which you and I grow spiritually. I think hidden within the Bible in Mark chapter 1, there is a pattern that you and I need to follow. There's some significant elements that you and I need to follow because those things help us grow spiritually. So Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, says this. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Here's what the voice said. You are my son, whom I love with you I am well pleased. Jesus gets baptized, and right in that baptism moment, you have Jesus, God become flesh on earth. You have God the Spirit descending on him like a dove. You have God the Father in heaven, speaking from heaven, his identity. You are my son with whom I'm well pleased. You're the one I love. And gives him in that moment that identity. Now here's what I want you to understand. Up until this point in time, Jesus hadn't done anything. He hadn't done a thing. And you need to realize if you've got fill in the blanks here that identity is who you are beyond performance. God calls the least likely and the least deserving into a new identity. Do you realize that that delights God? God delights to call the least likely, the least deserving person into a new identity in him. Like how cool is that? 
Because some of you in your mind, you think, well, that person would deserve to be called to a new identity by God. Or that person would, but who am I? And God loves the person who asks, who am I? He doesn't like the person who says, I deserve. I deserve a new identity. He likes the person who's like, God, I, I don't deserve a thing. And yet he delights to call the least likely, the least deserving into identity. And identity is beyond performance. See, we base worth on our performance. Have I performed worthy to receive love and acceptance and care? And God says, when you were unworthy, I loved you and I called you. It's your identity. So you ask the question, well, God, who am I? God, who am I to you? Who do you, God, think that I am? Who do you say that I am? I remember when, my, when Zach, my oldest uh, firstborn, was being born, and he came out, and I remember like the first time I got to hold him, and, and we had a C-section, and so he came out, and they're patching Heather up, and, and they take him over and kind of towel him off and make sure his oxygen is right. Then they come over, and they bring him to me, and I, I remember just holding Zach and just like looking at him, and, and I'm looking at this little baby, and I'm like, you haven't done anything yet. Nothing. You haven't done a thing, and yet I love you. I love you. You haven't done a thing. But I love you deeply. I love you dearly. You are my son. Now listen, he hadn't even sinned yet. Now plenty of that would come along because he was born in the flesh, like you and like me, right? But he was my son, whom I love. And guess what? With that little baby, I'm well pleased. I'm so well pleased. Jesus had not yet faced the cross he had not done much of anything yet. However, he was simply accepted and loved as are you and I. In fact, for you and I, it goes a little bit further. The scriptures say that when you and I were enemies, Christ loved us and died for us. So not only is it just this little innocent thing, Christ is looking at you, God is looking at you and saying, I love you, and you're looking at him going, I'm your enemy. And he's like, I love you, and you're like, I don't deserve it. And he's like, it delights me to reach to you. And so before Jesus had done much of anything, God speaks from heaven, you are my son or my daughter whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. And I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what phase you're in right now. And we're going to look at four phases of spiritual growth this morning. The first is identity. But I don't know what phase you're in. And sometimes we think we are our phase. We think we are what our status is. We think if we've had a change in our life or a change in our status, that our identity is suddenly shaken. And listen, you might be in a midlife crisis. You might have change in your family status or a change in your occupation. You might have a change in your behavior or a change in your health condition. But a new status is not your identity. You are not your status. That's temporary. Your identity is a calling. It's set. It's secure. And who Jesus says you are is that you are his son or a daughter of the most high God whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. That is who you are. So we must go back to that statement. God, irrespective of what I've done, irrespective of my current status, even when I've tried to run away, you still pursue me with a reckless love. 
even though I hear all these lies from everything else, I'm going to cling to who you say that I am. Who would love me like that? The world certainly doesn't. But God does. Can you rest in his love for you? Can you kind of take a deep breath this morning and just rest in God's love for you? That you're a son or daughter whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. That's it. That's enough. Can you embrace that this morning? So transforming my mind means I have to undo the lives that I believed about myself and I got to embrace, I've got to cling to God's opinion of me. I'm going to choose to believe God. And what that means is this, that I no longer give power to what you think of me. So you're going to stand there and you're going to say, I no longer give power to what everybody else thinks of me. And a lot of us give a lot of power to what everyone else thinks of us. We're always trying to make other people think well of us. And you're going to say, I no longer give power to what you think of me. In fact, I'm not even going to give power to what I think of me. I'm going to choose to give power to what God thinks of me, court adjourned. That's where the transformation happens. Why would I want to live a life of integrity unless I believe that there's a God who loves me and that it pleases him that when I obey him and I'm going to choose to believe that he's given me all everything that I need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Then I'm going to say, okay, I can do that because I'm going to choose to believe, God, that you've given me everything I need. I don't think I have everything I need, but I believe you've given me everything I need to live a godly life. And so Jesus moves from that first moment. Here's scene one, identity. But instantly, God puts him on the growth track, if you will. Jesus models for us the growth track. And he goes into a new mode. And we find that in Mark chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. It says, at once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So he moves to the next phase. He moves from identity, but then he moves to formation. Formation, and we'll look at that a little more closely in a few coming weeks, but formation is not more information. God didn't move him, say, you are my son and my daughter, my love, with you I'm well pleased, now you're going to seminary. You're going to grad school, you're gonna get a master of divinity and theology. It's not what he did. He said, I'm going to move you from understanding who I've called you to be now and to put you in a place, a dangerous place, a place where you're tried, where you're tested, and where you're tempted. Is God tempting you? No, we'll find out that Satan's the one who tempts Jesus. But isn't that what happens? You come to Christ and you're like, Lord, I'm going to give you my life. I say yes to Jesus. I give you my life. And then like the next week, you're like, I don't know if anything changed because I failed miserably. I'm still living wrong. I still have not have caught up to this idea that I should be different because you've made me different. And you begin to think, well, that must be who I really am. And so many people begin to have this initial growth and they're like, Lord, thank you so much for saving me. I love you. I can't imagine anything better. And those feelings begin to fade like infatuation and you move on and all of a sudden you get in a situation where you're tried or you're tested or you're tempted and you fail miserably and you think it didn't take 
Maybe it didn't really take with me. Maybe God didn't really save me. Maybe my soul wasn't cared for. And that initial faith that grows up gets choked out by the cares of the world. But what happened to Jesus? Identity. Then he's moved to a place where he's tried, where he's tested, where he's tempted, where we learn to persevere, where you and I learn to fight the wild animals that are most dangerous to us, and we find out that God will attend our needs even in seasons of temptation, even under trial, even in times when you and I are tested, that God loves you. Let me ask you this. What temptations and wild animals currently oppose you from growing? See, the wilderness was not like Tahoe. The wilderness in Jesus' day was like the desert, the high desert. So he would go out into the desert. Actually, it was the low desert. He went to some of the lowest places on earth. But he went out into the wilderness, a place where there's not green grass, there's not bushes. It's dry and desolate. He fasted for 40 days. During that 40 days of formation, that 40 days of testing, that 40 days of temptation. But it's beautiful because the God-man, born of a virgin birth, different than you and I. We have this in nature through Adam, but he was born of God and born of a woman. He was a God-man. He went for 40 days. He'd never sinned. In fact, he never sinned his entire human life because he's the God-man. But you and I, we walk into spirit, uh, seasons of formation and we find out that we get out there and there's wild animals and they seem to jump us all the time. What are the temptations? What are the wild animals that seem to want to attack you in your formative experiences? Jesus met with God the Father he listened to him. He applied his word. When Jesus was tempted, what did he counter it with? His own wit, his own thinking, his own muster, his own motivation? Nope. He countered it with the word of God, the truth. And so when the lies came, when the temptations came, he countered them with the living word of God. In fact, later in this chapter in Mark 1.35, as was Jesus' pattern, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The disciples had to go looking for him because they didn't know where Jesus go. This is after he's returned from this season of formation. But Jesus' pattern was to seek the words of the Father. Where do you find the words of the Father? Right here. Where do you find the truth by which to counter temptation? Here. Where do you find the truth to change your identity? Right here. That we cling to who Jesus says that we are. So we oppose the temptations and the identity accusations with the word of God because identity kickstarts your spiritual growth. Identity, everything hinges on it. You are my son or my daughter whom I love. In you I'm well pleased. Some of us fear formation because we think it undoes our identity. But I want to point out to you, that's never true. It's never true on the sports team. It's never true in parenting. It's never true in almost any other arena. That the time of formation is the time of learning. It's the time of growing. It's the time where failure teaches you to do better. It's the time where it's okay to fail because that's sometimes the only way that we learn. And in seasons of formation, God is there constantly reminding us that our identity is, is in Christ. That's why he gives us identity first. He doesn't take you through formation. 
a season of formative growth. He doesn't take you through formative experiences. He doesn't take you through traumatic experiences and leave you on your own and then at the end say, oh, by the way, here's your identity. No, he gives you and me identity first. Then he says, listen, life is relentless, but you're going to find out that I'm good. But sometimes you're going to act not good. And you're going to find out that even when you act not good, I'm still good. That's formation. So Jesus moves from identity to formation, and then he moves to one of the most important arenas, and that is community. He moves to community. And this is where you and I are to grow and connect. Listen, the Christian life is never supposed to be lived on your own. It's why here at church we say we want to be a church of circles, not just a church of rows. Rows is easy, but circles are where you and I begin to grow. Circles are where you and I become honest with ourselves and with God and now with other people. And guess what? When we do that, those people and the truth about ourselves begins to unwrite the lies and the messages that we believed. And we need to grow with other people. God always intended that way. How do we know? How do we know that God intended for you and I to grow in community? It's because of what Jesus says next. He comes out of the wilderness after 40 days. And the first thing he does, he begins to choose his friends. Choose his disciples. Disciples, a weird word, just think friends. The friends are going to be the tightest. The friends in his inner circle. That's who Jesus comes back and says, now that I've been through identity and formation, I'm gonna choose friends around me. And so it says this in Mark 1, verses 14. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they what? Followed him. They didn't abandon their father. It sounds like they also had some hired men. But Jesus gave them a, a higher calling. He gave them a higher opportunity, something better to live for. I'll teach you not just how to fish for fish. I'll teach you to fish for people. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people working who are trying to fish for fish, and they're bored, and they're isolated, and they're lonely, and they're trying to make a living, and they're dying on the inside from isolation and loneliness. And God calls you and I into community. He calls you and I to be better together. He calls you and I to be the kind of people that live in relationship with others, not in isolation that hides behind the people we work with. Andy Stanley says this. He says, your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. I want you to catch that. Your friends determine the direction of your life and the quality of your life. Do you want a better quality of life? Well, your friends are going to play a big piece of that. Do you want a better direction for your life to head in? Your friends are going to play a big part in that. Do you have the encouragement and support of people dedicated to grow with you and help you grow in leadership and in service? See, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. We want every person in here to not just be in a row. We want every person here to be in a circle. 
because that's where you and I begin to grow. And this is the time, listen, if you have not yet signed up to be in a circle group for the next eight weeks, here's my challenge to you. I'm gonna ask every person in here, right here this morning, I am asking you to commit to be here on Sundays every week for the next seven weeks of this series. Be here every week, be in a row every week for the next seven weeks, but I'm also asking you for the next eight weeks of your life to be in a circle group, to get together with other people. And some of those groups happen right here at the church facility. Others groups get together in a home or an apartment or in a dorm room or at a restaurant, but get in a group, sign up in a group that fits your comfort level for the next eight weeks. Just dream with me for a minute. What could happen in your spiritual life where you want to grow if you did that for eight weeks? We'll still give you four weeks before Christmas. But let me tell you, you might be a better Christmas gift to people around you because you've taken some time to intentionally grow. Why? Because stagnant's easy. Comfortable is easy. Paralyzed is easy. But we want you to grow, and so does God, and he loves you, and so he's calling you and I into community. And then after community... Jesus gets on mission. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 says this. So he's gathered these friends, right? Verse 21. Then they went to Capernaum. By the way, the uh, people who went with us to Israel, can you picture this? He went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Let me tell you, if you go to Israel with us, December of 2020, you will go to the place where you will see the foundation stones of the synagogue in Capernaum. It's not a guesstimate. It's not a question mark. It's the actual place. You're standing right there going, the scripture's coming alive. Jesus was there. And then this is where this is picking up. Mark chapter one. Jesus went into the synagogue, began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as a teacher of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't that interesting that a demonized person knows instantly the identity of Jesus Christ? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And all the people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? This is not normal church. What just happened at church today? I was expecting a couple songs, a nice sermon, communion, and then I'm out, right? They said, what is this? They marveled. They said, a new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Mission is what Jesus gets on now. So he's gone through identity. He's gone through a season of formation. He's gathered around him community, and now he gets on mission. And mission is the work of the ministry. This is where you and I live our calling. We encounter God. We grow through community. We live our calling. It's where you and I celebrate and volunteer. We overcome the bad of the evil one with the good of the kingdom of God as we live for him. We oppose the kingdom of darkness. Now let me tell you what, the kingdom of darkness is all always going to be strong. It's always going to be big. Most people are going to follow the kingdom of darkness, but believers, we understand our identity 
and we live and become that salt and that light to a desperate and hopeless dark world who's looking for Jesus. So we get on mission. If you just keep it all private, then you're not getting on mission. You're not being that salt and light and hope to a dark world. You're just trying to keep that thing hidden under a basket, which doesn't work. When people see you living your calling, when people see you walking through identity and changing what you think about yourself and believing who God says you are, when they watch you uh, be tried and tested and tempted and sometimes you fall down and they still watch you get up and keep going the same way even though they want to point and say, see, look, that's who you really are. See, look what you did there. That's the real you. And you get up again and you know, no, no, I believe what Jesus says I am. And I'm being tried, I'm tested, I'm tempted and, and tested and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep following what Jesus says I am. And you get the right friends in your inner circle. And then beyond that, you start to do the work of the kingdom of God and give hope to the hopeless. In that point in time, people put their hands on their hips and they'll be like, what is this? What is this? Like, I know who you really are, but what is this? You've gone all like crazy out there. You've gone all like way too far as a Christian. Like have your beliefs and stuff, but what is this? And I think there are some people who were in the back of the synagogue that day. They saw Jesus cast a demon out of this guy and they were like, what is this? Like seriously? That's a carpenter's son. What the heck is this? We didn't come here for this. This is not what church is all about. We're supposed to worship God. We don't want people to get freed from what the demons inside of them. Forget that. And they, they just, they do. They'll just get all upset and they'll get upset with you. Let me tell you something. The only way to undo a past ungodly reputation is by living an increasingly consistent, godly, present character which means that you just keep going. When you fall down, you get back up. When you start believing lies, you capture those lies. It might take you a while, but you capture them and you cling to the identity that God has called. Listen, if God has called you, he's put an irrevocable call on your life. Listen to me, it's irrevocable. So who are you to revoke the call God's put on your life? How arrogant. If he's put that call on your life, if he's given you this new identity, who are you to try to undo it? Oh, let's stop believing those lies. Let's get back up and pursue and follow him. See, the people in Jesus' day were familiar with two false beliefs that Jesus' new teaching very much opposed. The first was, well, God loves us and God loves everything we do so we can just do whatever we want. He's a lenient God. Therefore, they can just live and we can sin and we can do as we please, but God's just going to love us. Do we hear that teaching in our culture? We absolutely do, right? I'm just going to cling to the love of God, but I never want to change. I'm just going to cling to the love of God, but we have the other side. The other side says this, God is legalistic and loves to punish us. God is always angry with us. And God's this judgmental, mean, shaking his finger, I told you so kind of God. We hear that in our culture as well. But I want you to realize that the cross removes the wrath of God and gives us full acceptance as a son or a daughter of the most high God whom he loves, in whom he's well pleased. And there's a truth that's on your outline. God is not so loving that he stops becoming just. I want you to understand that God perfectly balances the tension of two objects. He understands one, that I'm gonna love and I am love. It's in my very character, my being. I am also just 
I am always going to be just. I'll never be unjust. I'll never be an unjust God. I'm always going to be just and loving, and I'm always going to be loving and just, and the two don't contradict. In fact, let me say it this way, God is fully loving. God is fully just. He's not partly either. He's fully both. And it's actually his love that brought justice. It's his love that says, I made the rule. If you sin, you will die. But I love you so much, I'm going to come and take the punishment for your sin upon myself and the God person of Jesus. And I'm going to turn aside the wrath of God. All the wrath that was against you now gets turned on Jesus on the cross. And he satisfies it. So God says, I'm fully loving. I'm fully just. But don't just think I'm one or the other or neither. I loved you so much that I'm both. Make sure you have the right picture of a loving and just God. He's kind, but he's not necessarily tolerant. He is forgiving, but he's not soft. He's all-powerful, but not all-controlling. He's fatherly, but he's not patronizing. He is patient, but he's not lenient. God is fully loving. God is fully just. So being on mission is not trying to earn God's favor. You go, I go through identity. I walk through formation. I get community around me. And then I get on mission. And guess what? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look and see how sometimes you can be on mission and you get off mission. What does God do? He brings you back to identity. You can have a community around you and that community gets broken up or shattered or people move or they leave or they get upset. And then God brings you back to identity. You can be in formation and you can fail and fall on your face and stumble and do wrong things. And God will bring you back to identity. So the question is, since you and I are always fluctuating between the four phases of spiritual growth, which phase are you currently on? You may have heard these principles before. If you've been around Sun Grove Church for some time, but let me ask you, where are you right now? Are you in identity? Is God calling you back to your identity? Are you in formation? Has your community changed? The people around your inner circle, it's time for a new community. Are you on mission Are you living your calling? Listen, we get on mission not because we're trying to get God's acceptance. We get on mission because we're just exemplifying our identity. Our identity is already settled. Now we're just gonna live out our identity. We wanna be the person whom God loves, with whom he's well pleased. And it pleases him for us to live in his kingdom, to live on mission. So we're gonna do what we do, but we don't do it for acceptance. We do it because we love him. Because he first loved us. Spiritual growth is only possible through replacing your false identity, believing the identity that God gives you. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God whom he loves, in whom he is well pleased. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe today you've never come to the identity. You've never embraced it, the identity of God. You've never embraced the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that you could have a brand new identity. And maybe where you're seated right now, today, that's all you need to hear. And I'm just going to ask in this time that you would take a moment and just consider, God, have I honestly given my heart to you? Have I given you my life that I would embrace this identity you've given me? And if that's you, you want that today, then you pray a prayer right where you're seated like this. You just pray, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life. Make me a new creation. I believed you died for my sin and that you were God. 
Would you wash me as white as snow and be my identity? Because today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.